it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I like baseball. I think a lot of you like baseball. And I've enjoyed over the years going to Hillsborough Hops games. And really liked that the Hillsborough Hops got a classification raise, so to speak. And really got excited when I heard about the news. Where the city of Hillsborough, the county, the state, all getting involved in building a new facility in Hillsborough. That would house the minor league team. Cost of this thing, eighty million, a hundred million, hundred twenty-five million. Of course, the longer you wait to break ground on construction, the more it costs. It's been a lot of smoke out there regarding the future of baseball, Major League Baseball's enhanced requirements for minor league facilities. What does it mean? What's going on in Hillsborough? You know, I finally just said, let's get to the bottom of this. Let's get K.L. Wambacher, the general manager of the Hillsborough Ops, on the show. We'll get an update on what is going on with the new build. How close are they to actually making this happen? What do they need to happen? And what happens if the facility improvement doesn't get done? Does that mean no more professional baseball in the Portland metropolitan area? Kale Wambacher is the general manager of the Hillsboro Hops, and uh, he's joining us now. Did I set the stage all right with that? Was that a a, a good synopsis of what is going on? That that was almost. Hey, John, how you doing? That that was almost like I wrote the script for you. That, that thank was, you. That was well well teed up. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, can you, we start? You obviously yeah. know a lot about baseball, so it's good to talk to you about this. It's it's always good to talk to you, and I'm interested in this because I think you know there's a risk here that baseball, if this doesn't happen in the right way, doesn't end up being a thing in the Portland metropolitan area. But give us an idea. Let's start with Major League Baseball. What happened in the last few years and how have the standards for ballparks and facilities changed? Yeah, the biggest the biggest thing is in 2020, uh, Major League Baseball basically took over the minor leagues. So they, in the past, they would have an eight year agreement with the minor with minor league baseball and player development, and the minor leagues didn't do a very good job of keeping facilities up, um, keeping player standards up. Um, I mean, there are a lot of facilities that haven't been touched for 20 years. The facility standards minor league baseball hadn't changed them since 1990. Um, and so Major League Baseball finally said, you know what, enough's enough. We've got to modernize this game. Um, we're spending, teams are spending a lot of money on these players, and we need quality experiences and quality training facilities for them. So they went to the 160 teams that were part of minor league baseball, picked the top 120, and issued player development licenses um, or professional development league licenses to those 120 teams. We were fortunate to be in the 120. Uh, we went from being a short season A club to being in the high A level. That was the license that we were offered by Major League Baseball. Um, and each 120 market, you had a choice. You could either sign this new 10-year contract with Major League Baseball and, and be a part of this new system or you're 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 done like you you basically vanish or you you know try to find an independent league to join or something like that but you would no longer be a a major league affiliate organization 
In our league, we had two teams that did not make the cut, Salem and Boise. So we kind of knew in the Northwest League, if we didn't take this deal, Salem probably would or Boise would. So there was a lot more pressure on us to, to make sure we took the deal. We consulted with the city. The city said, we do not want to lose professional baseball. Uh, I'm sure we can figure this out, whether it's a renovation. Um, we thought we could renovate at the time. So uh, we all signed that contract in 2020, and, and now we're obligated to meet to meet that contract, which the biggest part of it was enhancement for uh, facilities for player development. All right, so are we talking about locker rooms, batting cages, training rooms, uh, meeting rooms? You know, when they say facility enhancement, you know, you guys obviously have pivoted from – a renovation to a new build. Um, you want give me an idea of what the blueprint for that new build includes. You want you know when you start talking about this project. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's all based around player health and wellness. So it's the training facilities, it's the experience of the players, the quality of the facilities. You know, a lot of it has to do with um, gender equity. Like we didn't have females in the game, which is kind of crazy to say now that we've had female umpires, female trainers, and a female mm -hmm. manager last year. Um, but these facilities were never designed to have female locker rooms. It's, it's kind of sad. And so modernizing that aspect of our game to where now coaches offices and, and umpire facilities and visiting team facilities, coaches facilities, they have male, female formatting and uh, male, female uh, opportunities, uh, player dining spaces. Cause they're here all the time. And, and teams now provide two meals a day to these players to try to enhance their nutrition. We didn't have the infrastructure for that. Um, batting cages, our batting cages never really did meet standard. They're just not tall enough. And so we, we've got to expand those. We've never had a weight room. So building a new weight room on site. Um, and then the biggest thing for us, which is why we had to pivot from a renovation to a new stadium is we never had a visiting clubhouse. It was value engineered out when the stadium was built and made minor league baseball let us use the football stadium next door. So the visiting team over the last 10 years, 11 years, has been using basically high school locker rooms um, over in the football stadium. And major league baseball came in and was like, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It's not even connected to the facility. So this, this, the square footage we need to add with the visiting, all the new visiting spaces, the new weight room, the female spaces, the dining areas, the new batting cages, it just wouldn't fit into the footprint we have here. And we have this transmission water line running through the parking lot, 66 inch transmission water line that we had to relocate. And so the renovation just got to be so cost prohibitive that um, we decided that the new ballpark would be way better in the long run. Um, it gives us a better footprint. And then it also gives the city the ability to use Ron Tonkin Field year round for community use. Kale Wambacher with us, general manager, Hillsboro Hops. The the cost of construction, obviously, when you, you first look at this, it's going to be one number. And then we have just seen construction costs skyrocket. How has that impacted this project? Yeah, our timing is not great on this. <laughs> uh, between the increase in construction costs and then the interest rate escalation, too, it's, it's two factors that have really worked against us. Um, we, we, we started this project by trying to determine the maximum amount of private investment we could put into it. And, and we were hopeful that we could build this ballpark ourselves. So we found out um, we, could, we could finance about $80 million. The owners came up with a couple million dollars cash too. So, so we basically started with $82 million. Um, in 2019, we've, you could build a stadium for $82 million. You could build a really nice stadium for $82 million. So we felt pretty good. 
Well, then we went into design and started getting construction costs and realized, you know, if it's more like 100 to 120. So that's where uh, we went to the city and we talked to them about their lodging tax and if there could be an investment of lodging tax dollars that would go into this. And they determined about 18 million uh, could be freed up. So that got us to 100 million. And then uh, we went to the state last session, the full session, and asked for a $25 million grant that we thought might be cut a little bit. So we wanted to ask for a little bit more. Um, and maybe we get 15 or 20 million and that would finish the funding plan off. Uh, we had great feedback throughout session. We spent six months trying to lobby for this. We had professional lobbyists that we had hired and a lot of meetings with legislators. Everyone was like, we, we support the hops. We want to see the hops continue and everything. So we felt really good. And then obviously the revenue forecast kept getting bigger and bigger for the state. Um, and then uh, unfortunately in June, we got, uh, we uh, were not able to be successful in getting any money from the state. So that was kind of a major setback in June. Um, it allowed us to kind of take a step back and, you know, go have some conversations with Washington County to see if there's any potential with lodging tax there. Uh, go back to the city and, and see if there's any potential there and then kind of reformat a one, one, once and final ask to the state to see if we can get an investment. And, and this time we're, we're looking for 15 million and that would complete the funding plan for, for the ballpark. And I, you know, I know I can hear our listeners saying, hey, there are bigger problems in sports. There's homelessness. There's drug addiction. Um, there, you know, schools uh, there, you know, everybody is is, uh, you know, we wish that the state had an endless uh, pot of money that could be allocated to solve all the problems. But I keep looking at this, Kale, and I keep thinking, OK, a big construction project would bring tax revenue. Um, the operations uh, players and staff at the stadium, there's tax revenue in that. At some point, I do think there becomes a win-win where the state goes, okay, we need to create jobs, we need to create a project, we obviously need to fund uh, you know, homelessness uh, initiatives and fight against drug addiction and help our schools, but these things feel like there's, they, they could be, there could be some synergy between them. Um, do, are you optimistic at this point that, that this is going to happen and that, you know, uh, that you'll find a way. Yeah. I mean, um, optimistic, I, I'm, I'm eternally optimistic. So maybe that's a good quality. Maybe it's a bad quality of mine, but um, your listeners are absolutely right. There are more important issues in sports. And I think our argument, especially to state legislators is this doesn't need to be an, or why can't it be an, and why can't we, find resources to help with homelessness and drug addiction and housing and schools. And why can't we find some money to help fund quality of life and um, entertainment and things for us to do in, in, in this market um, and celebrate, you know, some of the good things that we have, because quite frankly, if this facility isn't built, the team's going to be forced to leave. It's not our owners that are going to move the team because we live here in Hillsborough and enjoy it. But you know, we'd probably sell the team and that new owner would have to move it. It's most likely going to move to maybe Washington because they've invested in sports teams or they've invested in stadiums a couple of different times. Um, but now the state loses the revenue that comes with the income tax that all of our employees pay, that our players pay, that anything that comes through this venue pays. Uh, we now pay the new corporate activity tax as a business, all the local property taxes we pay. So the amount of taxes that between our business 
and our employees pay annually is 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 pretty significant. Not to mention the new ballpark will generate I think 6.7 million just in payroll taxes alone for the construction. Then it's about 1.5 million per year for the operation for all the employees and artists and players and everything that goes through this venue. So you're talking about a 6.5 year payback for the state for that 15 million investment. And then the next 34 years of the lease is it is an incremental revenue to the state. So we, we have, our lobbyists has used the line, it's not that the state can't afford to do that. It's not that if the state can afford to do this, it's can the state afford not to do this? Because if the team is lost, if this venue isn't built, um, there will be an impact to the loss of tax revenue going to the state. And then you'll miss on that upside of what the tax revenue will be if the facility is done. Kale Wambacher, Hillsborough Hops. For people who want to get involved, who want to uh, bang the drum, so to speak, uh, what can can uh, sports fans do that can help? I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, there's a tool where you can find your, your legislator of the district you live in. Um, it's just like find my legislator. You type in your, your zip code and up pops who your, legis- your uh, House of Representatives and your senator is. Um, feel free to reach out to them. They've got email addresses listed on there. Shoot them an email and and let them know that this is a that you feel this is a worthy state investment. Um, at the end of the day, we can't do it without the state. Like we have turned over every rock. Um, we are not looking at the state as some big piggy bank. Um, we're just looking at it as a strategic partner. Like we we need their help, and um, the city is stepping up. You know, we're hopeful that the county um, will will help us out a little bit. Our ownership has stepped up tremendously, more than just about any any ownership group in the country when it comes to minor league baseball. So, we've we've got a path to get there, um, and we have a March 15th deadline for Major League Baseball that'll be kind of that final deadline. And um, session ends March 10th, so we have this pretty much month and a half window here um, to try to get this over the finish line. All right, KL, I appreciate you coming on. I, I, I think it makes sense for this to get across the finish line, but keep us posted. I wanted to update. I was getting mixed messages. I think nobody quite knew what was going on, and I said, let's get him on, and uh, we'll get to the bottom of it. So thank you for coming on and sharing. Yeah, my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me on, and uh, we're excited to what this facility can do for our, for our future. I, I agree with it. And I think, look, I always say, and I have said for years, what kind of city? And I'm not just talking about Portland. I'm talking about the surrounding cities. Hillsborough, Beaverton, Tigard, uh, Milwaukee, Clackamas, Westland, Wilsonville. I, you know, what kind of city, what kind of area do we want to be? And I get it. Like, it's tough. Construction costs rise. You, know, you got a, a state that is uh, looking at uh, bigger problems, it thinks, than, than sports. Uh, but you know, I'm just back of the math, back of the napkin math here, looking at the income tax that would be derived from the player salaries and operations in Hillsborough. I'm thinking about a million and a half dollars a year in tax revenue, and and then that's not even to mention six, seven, eight million in revenue, tax revenue off the construction project. Um, feels like you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater I, I literally think you look at that equation if you're the state of oregon or you're the county or the city of hillsborough and you go okay um does it make sense to lose 
seven, eight, nine million dollars in annual tax revenue um, over coming up with seven, eight, nine million dollars now to help this project get through. Um, I think they'll get it done, but I think it's one of these common sense. Does everybody see the math when they lay it out problems? Because I had people who were telling me, oh, the hops are moving. And other people telling me, no, 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 they're building a stadium. It's done. And so I reached out to KL and I said, well, what's what's the reality of this? And he said, well, it's somewhere in between. And they're still looking for the final pieces of the puzzle. But hopefully uh, lawmakers will look at it and look at it logically and go, okay, there is an investment that can be made here. Is it the county? Is it the city? Is it the state? Somebody? Is it all of them? That it becomes a mutually beneficial situation. Well, and also it's not a good sign if – you know, the, the city and everybody can't fund a minor league team if you really want a major league team. Like, that's not a good look. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. if you can't, if you're not, and that's been the knock, hasn't that, you know, my friends who don't live in the area, maybe your friends who don't live in the area probably think the same thing. They all look over at us and they go, you know, what's wrong with you guys? You couldn't, you couldn't support a major league baseball team? Or are you not supporting a team? Are you not supporting the Blazers? What, you know, you don't, what, you know, Portland's not a, big sports market you know i i had other you know the seattle times and other entities who had offered me jobs over the years they almost mocked the sports market and they said you know how far do you have to drive to go to a football game you can't go to a major league baseball game like they always used it as a knock on the sports market telling me hey come to seattle or come to southern california where there's more to do and more to see um I, and I've always stayed, and I've always said there's plenty going on here. There's a lot. There's more than I can talk about going on here. But they become right if a city and a county and a state don't want to invest in a project that is going to bring jobs, tax revenue. Like when you just think about it, and and I, I'm pretty sure that the feasibility studies, because I've looked at some of this stuff, it looks like the – Construction project alone would generate $6.7 million in tax revenue. And the annual salaries of the players, taxes on the salaries of the players, and the payroll of the front office of the Hillsborough Hops is good for another $1.7 million. So there you go. If, they, if they're short $7 or $8 million, there it is every year in perpetuity. So figure it out. Uh, leave it here. We got so much to talk about. Punch it audio is coming up. A little bit of surprising news out of Tucson, Arizona, just a few minutes ago. University of Arizona making a change with their athletic director. Uh, Arizona's president, Dr. Robert Robbins, has been under fire recently. Um, he has a $224 million budget shortfall. Obviously, Jed Fish leaving Arizona. To go to Washington was uh, a, a, a telltale sign of the financial woes at Arizona. And anybody tracking that knows Arizona was uh, upside down. But Dave Hickey, uh, been there for seven years as the AD, uh, surprising move. Uh, Hickey's been a guest on this show, and uh, I had texted with him just a few days ago uh, prior to his hiring of Brent Brennan as the new football coach. And after the hire of Brent Brennan, the football coach, I thought he made a terrific hire in Brennan. But it uh, looks like uh, Hickey um, is under fire from the university president. I just find it interesting how this stuff all flows downhill. And obviously I've got you know more of a relationship with the AD at Arizona than the president at Arizona. But 
I also think, like, why does the president still have a job? He had a $224 million budget shortfall, and now the AD's out at Arizona. And uh, we'll get to the bottom of what happened there, but a little bit of a uh, uh, surprising move as Hickey is out. Looks like February 2nd is his last day on the job, and so it will be abrupt. Uh, And now Brent Brennan, the new guy who is – the athletic or the athletic director's pick will be operating without the guy who hired him, which is not an ideal situation. Um, why? Why would they even let him make the hire and then get rid of him? Just you know, a couple like a week or so later, like that doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's just wacky, and I I guess Arizona's athletic department has been struggling, and I'm gonna gather that the Jedfish departure put a spotlight on the financial woes of the athletic department where people were probably complaining going, why is Jed fish going to Washington? Why can't we offer him the same amount of money that the Huskies can? What happened here? And you know, it cast a spotlight on it. The budget for the, uh, I'm looking at the budget at the Arizona athletic department. It's over a hundred million dollars. And um, Robert Robbins had said late last year that cutting sports was a possibility. He said everything was on the table. But I, I, I think this is more of the case of the head coach firing a coordinator to try to save himself. You know, if you're Robert Robbins, it's the, it's the president's job to manage that budget on the campus. And he's upside down by $224 million. So Dave Hickey out as the uh, Arizona athletic director. He'll be, the, he'll be the first one to fall. We'll not be surprised if Robert Robbins goes after, but... Uh, We'll see what happens there. Uh, love the interview with Kale Wambacher in the in the, the last uh, segment. Uh, Want to point out too, the Eugene Emeralds are in a very similar situation. They're also asking the state of Oregon for some funding, so uh, they're trying to both save baseball in Eugene and save baseball in Hillsboro. It'll be really interesting to see if lawmakers uh, will step up and see the value of it. I think they should. I do think homelessness. I do think addiction, I do think schools are more important than baseball. But I'll go one further than our guest. I will say you need tax dollars to pay for those things that I just mentioned about that are more important. So what the state should be doing is thinking more like a business and investing in spokes of the operation that are going to give you a return on your investment. So if you're putting 6 or 7 or $15 million into a baseball stadium, and you're going to get seven or eight or nine million dollars a year in tax revenue. That feels like a pretty good deal. Like, hey, you're going to get your money back and then some over time. So keep an eye on that as it develops. I think it happens. Common sense usually wins, but you never know. Let's play some punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, it came down to a missed field goal from 41 yards. Wide right? Well, they all sort of said it. Here's the call on Westwood 1. Chief spills game at the end. Punch it. Tyler Bass will try a 44-yard field goal to tie. The wind at his back. 
The snap is good. The ball put down. The kick is up. No good. Wide right. Wide right. The Bills kicker missed a field goal. Wide right. Jubilation for the Chiefs sideline. 143 to go. Bass missing wide right from 44. There's the call on Westwood One. You would have caught it right here on 750 the game. Meanwhile, on CBS, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, they had it as well. Punch it. And now you got to bring out Bass. Sean McDermott, after his one-for-three performance last week, he has tremendous support in the building. If he has to make one for us, the game on the line, he will. 44 yards, Bass. No, he doesn't make it. Wide right. Wow. The two most dreaded words in Buffalo have surfaced again. There it is, the call on CBS. How did it sound in Korea? Well, I'm glad you asked. Punch it. It's wide right in any language. The Buffalo Bills are saying all the right things in the wake of the loss. Josh Allen saying they can run it back. The window hasn't closed. I looked at the ages of the players. I looked at the salary cap. I've looked at their draft pick. They're picking 28th in the draft. They have all their picks, including a compensatory pick. I do think they can get back. But I also am well aware of the Buffalo Bills history. Super Bowl near misses. Loss after loss after loss after loss. Kind of starting to feel bad for the fans in Buffalo. The good I don't know if the, you are. The good thing for the Bills, though, John, is they at least have the most important part, and that's a quarterback, right? Like, I, I think Josh Allen, he proved last night, you know, didn't have a turnover. He was fine. He was good enough to win that game. You got to figure it out around him, but they at least have the most important part going forward. So I think as long as you have him, you'll always be a contender. They do for now, and they've got him for now, and he's such a good story. But he's talking about the window to win. It's literally his career. That's the That's the window. And, and, and keep in mind, remember, John Elway and the Broncos, great example. They didn't, the Broncos didn't win when Elway was at his best. They won when they got Terrell Davis in the backfield, and they got a better defense. Then the Broncos punched through, and Elway still had enough. Will Josh Allen and the Bills be that team? Patrick Mahomes, he was the winner, but he spent a minute talking about Josh Allen's performance. Punch it. I've been on the other side of that. It's tough. You put in so much effort and work every single game um, to play in these playoff games, and he played his tail off. Um, and and gave, they gave them a chance to win the game. Um, we were just able to come out with the win in the end. Um, but that's two great football teams, uh, two great offenses, defenses, everything uh, going at it, and uh, we were able to come out on top this week. Really good football game. I think if it had gone to overtime, who knows? You know, everybody's going to look at Bass and say he's the bum, but there were a lot of other plays in that game that could have made it go the other way. Great football game, great for the NFL, and, and of course, great for 36 million people who saw the game on CBS. Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions are going to the NFC title game. Here's how the end of that one sounded as Baker Mayfield was intercepted on the final drive by Tampa. Two receivers left, two wide right. Mayfield stands along the right hash of the shotgun. 
Gets the snap from the center, Hainsey. Throws over the middle, floats it high, and it's intercepted! Picked off by Derek Barnes! The former Purdue Boilermaker with the biggest interception of his life! Sealing the deal for the Detroit Lions! Oh my! Baker Mayfield said it felt like his heart got ripped out after the game. He was on a one-year deal worth $4 million. The Bucks must want him back. And he must want to cash in. He says he wants to re-sign. But I think it was a, a very magical season for Tampa. A team that a lot of people didn't have high expectations for. Meanwhile, Dan Campbell and the Lions... They're just proud. They're beaming right now. And they'll get San Francisco in the next round. Here's Campbell. Punch it. Well, I think it's important, right? I mean, you can't, you know, it's not the first thing you think of if you go to L.A. Or just in general, right? You got the sun. You got the beach. You got plenty of other things going on. And here, man, and it's harsh winters, right? Auto industry, blue collar. Things aren't always easy. And I just think that's what we're about. And that, that was... You know, you want something the city can be proud of. Though You can look at those guys and say, man, I can back that guy. I can back that team. You know, I can resonate with those group of guys. They're kind of salty. You know, they, they don't quit. They play hard. And so I, I feel like we've done that. And I think these guys, you know, they have a kinship with this city and this area. And they love it. Detroit will be going to the Bay Area to play the 49ers in the NFC title game. They will get Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, of course. Chris Long says he likes the Lions in that matchup. Why? Punch it. Hey, if it's 40 and it's raining, I don't like Jared Goff in that spot. Okay, but I looked at the forecast. It's 64. It's sunny. A lot can change in a week. Um, I think with their ability to run the football, you know, Green Bay came out of the Dallas game, and you might say this is San Francisco. It's different. They give up the same per pop on the ground, Dallas and San Francisco, and you saw they could move the ball on the ground. Um I think for Detroit, they can absolutely move the ball on the ground. Uh, and if, if the weather's okay, I think Jared Goff's going to see some things he likes in coverage. Uh, look, I think Detroit's a, a fine football team, but I think the 49ers, if they play a better game than they did last uh, Saturday, I think the 49ers win it. If they don't, if they're still rusty, if Debo Samuels isn't in the lineup, if Brock Purdy's making mistakes and George Kittle's dropping passes, the Lions are going to get him. Does what you're Chris at the, Long yeah. say worry you at all about the 49ers' no. defense being vulnerable? No. I, I saw the 49ers' defense play just fine in in under bad circumstances against the uh, against the Packers. I thought you know the Niners' made, defense made a couple of big plays, um, and and I thought you know Green Bay. I saw Green Bay early in the year, and then I kind of forgot about them. And then I just picked them back up in the playoffs, and I thought, well, the Cowboys game, maybe they looked really good. I was really impressed with Green Bay's players. Green Bay's got some good players. And I think Jordan Love, he's sniffing around it. Big-time success. Another year under his belt. I think the Packers have a lot to be excited about. Lions, too. I think they have a bright future. But for the 49ers, it's a right-now equation. they got to win now. Kyle Shanahan knows it. Rex Ryan talking about Bill Belichick. He thinks he might be the Bills' next head coach. Punch it. If you think, like ownership, all right, they fired me, I was 500, they fired me because they didn't think we can go any further. Well, I'm saying if ownership sits back and goes, you know what, 
this guy's done a great job as a coach, but is he the right guy to get us to the next level? Whoa. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, and I know it's – and, and believe me, I'm not just being reckless when I'm saying it. I go, if you're going to move on from him, make no mistake, it's for one okay, guy. Say, it's right. for Bill is Belichick. It, it? Wow. Sean McDermott, would he be out and Bill Belichick in? Feels a little risky. I don't know if the Buffalo players, are they going to get on the Belichick train after looking at him as the uh, enemy for all those years? Uh, it's an interesting thought because, yeah, you can blow up the roster or you can blow up the head coach. And if you're Buffalo and you feel like you're close, maybe it is a McDermott question. Meanwhile, in the Big Ten, fans at Ohio State stormed the court. Ohio State-Iowa game. Caitlin Clark on the court. Got ran into by a fan who was celebrating and knocked down. Here's Caitlin Clark. Punch it. Yeah, I'm okay. Thank Like, great environment, obviously. Like, these are the games you'd love to play in. 18,000 people here. Um, you know, obviously I can see they're storming the court, which is totally is fine. And, got, I mean, good for their students. Great win for them. And I was just trying to exit the court as quickly as possible, so I started running, and I was absolutely just hammered by somebody trying to run onto the court and basically blindsided and, um, you know, kind of scary. Could have caused a pretty serious injury to me and knocked the wind out of me, but um, luckily my teammates kind of picked me up and got me off the court, so, um, and their AD already came and apologized to me, so I really appreciate that, and, um, you know, this is what comes with the territory. I mean. I'm sure they tried their best to do whatever they could. Obviously, it didn't work, and that's disappointing. But, um, you know, just focus now on the game and, you know, ways we can get better. I don't know if what I'm about to say is going to be a popular opinion or not, but it, I I kind of feel like it's unfortunate she got ran into. I saw the video. It didn't look fun. But I also am looking at this from a standpoint of women's college basketball. And I'm looking at Tara Vanderer, you know, becoming the all-time winningest coach over the weekend. 18,000 at an Ohio State-Iowa women's basketball game. Scott Ruick and the Oregon State women playing out of their minds this season. Great basketball. And 18,000 fans storming the court at Ohio State. I think, you know, yeah, you don't ideally want fans running into Caitlin Clark and knocking her down. But I also want to kind of celebrate the idea that there was 18,000 fans at a women's college basketball game. And some of them felt inclined, moved enough by the play on the court to storm the court. Iowa coach sounding off. She wasn't happy. Lisa Bluter, punch it. You know, it's unfortunate the game ended that way and Caitlin gets taken out on the floor. Um get some inappropriate words yelled at her by fans, by students. Um, that just should not happen. It should not happen. Our players should be safe. They should be able to walk off the floor. Um, I, that's uh, that's very disappointing. I think Ohio State, great team, great environment, but but obviously very disappointed with the post game with our players getting injured trying to walk out of the gym. That's wrong. Uh, yeah, look, I don't know if she's injured. She got knocked down. She's fine. She got up. She's okay. Let's let's knock on wood and say, hey, that silver lining, she's okay. Yes, Ohio State should do a better job of trying to control the court after the game, but this is part of college basketball. Stephen, 
Where do you stand on storming the court, player safety, all that? Yeah, I love the the court storming. Like that's part of college sports, college basketball especially. And you're right. Like women's college basketball doesn't get a lot of court storms. So to have that emotion of all the fans there and the emotions in the arena and to feel that you need to rush the court after a win like that is great. Now, I blame a little bit on you know the student that ran into Caitlin Clark. Like she shouldn't be running around with her phone in the air, right? Like have awareness of where you're going. Live in the moment. Don't live it on your phone. It, the moment's not going to look great in your phone, anyways. Like just embrace that moment and have fun. I also think Caitlin Clark exaggerated a little bit on the flop. Seemed like a little flop there out of Caitlin Clark. But you know what? When you're running around and you get hit out of nowhere, yeah, it's going to take an effect. So. I don't know. I love a court storm. I think it's fine. I think it's unfortunate what happened, and luckily nothing worse happened. Uh, but I think there's there's lots of blame to go around to lots of people. Yeah, I think I'm left going, let's not miss the idea that there were 18,000 fans at this game and people wanted to storm the court. That's what you want. That's what college basketball, women's college basketball, has been begging for, asking for, waiting for. You've got it. Ohio State must do better. Especially fans. Like, I've been in that situation on the field at, at Reeser Stadium and Autzen Stadium and a lot of other places. I was at Stanford Stadium once when Stanford beat Oregon and fans, the Stanford students came over the rail. A bunch of engineering majors came over the ra- came over the rail. Stanford trees running around. But I've been on the field, you know, at Autzen when fans will jump the field and run onto the, jump the railings and run onto the field. And, you know, I've been standing by Phil Knight a couple times. And I, and I, you know, he's, he was in his 80s, and fans are just sprinting onto the field. And I'm like, hey, if some fan's not paying attention and clocks Phil Knight accidentally, that could be really bad. And so you kind of have to have your head on a swivel in those moments because, you know, the fans aren't trying to target anybody. But, you know, clearly the fan at Ohio State was just running onto the court, and Caitlin Clark is trying to walk off, and she gets blindsided. It's, it, it was just, I think, an unfortunate convergence of things. The least of which is that, you know, Ohio State security probably wasn't thinking, are we in a court storming moment tonight? That's Punch It Audio. We got great stuff still ahead. I want you to leave it here. The Five at Five's coming up with Anna. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.